Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Has there ever been a time in your life when you had something that was just, it was just on you. It was just on your heart. And you passionately desired to share it with someone else. Has there ever been a time for you like that? Maybe, maybe it was a story. Maybe it was um, a word of encouragement. Maybe it was a statement. Maybe it was a song. Maybe it was a verse of scripture. Has there ever been a time when something's just been on you and you knew that you really wanted to share it with someone else or with a group? Well, if you're anything like me, when that happens, I work very hard to think through what I want to say because my desire is for the people I'm sharing with to understand and embrace what I'm saying. Maybe you can relate with that. Think about a time for you when something's just been on you that you passionately desire to share with someone else. And so you really thought through how you communicated what you wanted to say. There's something like that going on in my life right now with my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Scarlett. What's just been on my wife's heart and my heart has just been what does it look like to begin to communicate truth with our two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Obviously, we're not jumping into the book of Leviticus, but what does it look like in, in just a very foundational way to begin to share with her the truths of Scripture? And so we got one of those story Bibles that just kind of outlines some famous stories in Scripture, and then it has a little phrase that we can begin to say back and forth with Scarlet, such as, God leads us. Or God made the world. Or God provides for us. And so what happens is, during the day, my wife Shar will read Scarlett one of these stories. And they'll talk about the phrase. And then when I get home after work, I'll sit down and ask Scarlett what she learned today. So over the past few weeks, we've been talking about this reality that God leads us. So this week I asked Scarlett, Scarlett, who leads you? And she said, cookies. <laughs> All right. So I tried again. And I said, Scarlett, who provides for you? She said, cartoons. <laughs> so even though we are the biggest failures in history when it comes to parenting, that's just been on us as, as parents to somehow, someway begin to share the truth with our daughter. That's also true for us as a pastoral team. 
There are times that God just puts something on us, a passion in us to share with you this church body, and so we try to do that. Last month was an example. God had really just impressed on our heart this desire for our church to wrestle with what does it look like to be desperate for God and to think about what would happen, what does it look like when God moves. And last month we got to share that that with you, and it's something God had just put on our heart. Well, this morning we're going to look at at a passage of Scripture, and we're going to see that same passion, that same drive that I have as a father to share truth with my daughter, that same passion that we have as a pastoral team to share truth with you, we're going to see that in the life of a man named Peter. As he writes to a group of Christians, a group of believers that are scattered throughout Asia Minor. And you need to know this. These believers were facing numerous geographical and cultural challenges. And because they had chosen to follow Jesus, they were looked at as outcasts in their society. And, and Peter's writing to them with this, this passion this, this drive, because he wants them to get their head around and understand who they are as the people of God. And you're going to hear it in this letter. But he's, he's challenging them to, to take their eyes off of just what's around them and in front of them and look up at the big picture of who they are as the people of God and the significance of the eternal, unstoppable kingdom that they're a part of. Most of you know, but last October we jumped into a verse-by-verse study through the New Testament book of 1 Peter. We've taken a short break for Christmas and then our series, When God Moves. But today we jump back into chapter 2. And we're going to be for the next several months in a series within this verse-by-verse study entitled, The People of God. And there's a a big idea that we're going to be living in for the next two months as it relates to this series. And I want to go ahead and give you the big idea this morning. You're going to hear us talk about it every week for the next two months. And it's really a foundational framework that's really going to set the course for everything that we're going to talk about. So here's the big idea for this series. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. I want us to read that out loud. I want us to voice that out loud this morning together on three. One, two, three. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. And this morning as we look at a few verses of scripture, Peter's really going to unpack for us this reality of who Jesus is. He's writing to these scattered believers with a yearning for them to understand who Jesus is. That their love for him, their passion for him, their pursuit of him may be deeper than it's ever been before. And they would truly embrace the reality 
that there is no one like Jesus. And it's all about him. I believe one commentator captured this passion that we see here in Peter as he wrote about the New Testament in totality. Listen to this statement by J.H. Jowett. He said, Every preposition seems to have been exhausted by the word of God in emphasizing the necessity of a fundamental relationship with Christ. I love this. In Christ, through Christ, by Christ, with Christ, unto Christ. In every conceivable way, Christ is proclaimed as the all-essential. That's the heart of Peter as he's writing to these believers, wanting them to understand that there is no one like Jesus. So you have a copy of God's word. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 2. In just a moment, I'm going to start reading in verse 4. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we're going to put these verses up on the screen for you or you can log on to the YouVersion app and follow along with us as we read. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. The Bible says, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious corner stone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected This became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. One of the things that is very clear as we read through those verses is that Peter uses numerous metaphors, symbols... To help these believers understand even in, in an even greater way the supremacy and the worth of Jesus. So what I want to do in our time together this morning is I want to ask and answer two questions. Here are the two questions. What does this passage reveal about Jesus? And what does this passage reveal about Jesus' followers? So let's start with that first question. As we look at these verses... What is it in this passage that is revealed to us today as believers that we can draw out about Jesus? Well, I believe there are several realities in these verses that really are very clear regarding who Jesus is. And here's the first one. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. The first metaphor that is used in these verses in verse 4 is the metaphor of a living stone. 
Now, for those of you who have been with us for this entire study, you know that verse 4 is the third time in our study of 1 Peter that we've seen Peter use similar language to communicate that Jesus is alive. In chapter 1, verse 3, he refers to Jesus as the living hope. In chapter 1, verse 23, he refers to Jesus as the living word. And then here in chapter 2, verse 4, he refers to Jesus as a living stone. Over and over and over in this letter to these believers, he wants them to understand that Jesus Christ is alive. Now this reference to the living stone has major implications on multiple levels. Throughout the Old Testament, we see references to God one day sending a Messiah In some places, he refers to that Messiah as a stone. So by Peter referring to Jesus as the living stone, he is connecting the dots to the Old Testament to say, this is the one that was promised by God to be sent to redeem humanity. One of those references is in Isaiah chapter 28. Listen to what the Bible says in the Old Testament. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. So by saying Jesus is the living stone, Peter is saying this is the one. This is the Messiah. This is the one sent from God to redeem the people of God and build the kingdom. Of God. But in addition to just that implication, this symbol or metaphor also makes a major statement because it is a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying he was raised to life by the power of God to overcome death, hell, and the grave. He's proclaiming to these believers Jesus is alive. And it begs referencing. That when most of us think about a stone, and probably when these believers thought about a stone, they thought about something that didn't have life. And I love Peter's play on words here because in essence he's saying, this symbol of a stone says, let me remind you that our king is not dead. He is a living stone. He has done the impossible and brought life out of death. So here's the point. And I believe what was really in Peter's heart as he's writing these first few words that we just read. He's saying you may question a lot in your current situation. And you may be here today questioning a lot in your current situation. But he's saying you should never question this. Jesus has overcome it all. He is alive And in total control as the Lord and Redeemer sent from God. So this morning as you think about who Jesus is, here's the first reality. We just need to celebrate. We don't just need to blow by it. We need to celebrate that Jesus Christ is alive. Here's the second reality that we see in these verses. Jesus is treasured. By God. Jesus is treasured by God. He goes on in verse 4. 
He says, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. This word choice means chosen. It means God made a decisive choice. He chose Jesus to be the king of his kingdom. And there's a real contrast here. Because Peter mentions the way the world viewed Jesus versus the way God views Jesus. He says, listen, the world rejected him. The world said, for what we're doing, you're not an appropriate king. You're not who we're looking for. But God says, no, that's the one I've chosen. That's the one I treasure. That's the one who matters most to me. You could say it this way. The world said, we can't use Jesus for anything we are doing. But God said, I'm going to use Jesus to accomplish everything that I'm doing. There's this contrast. The world passed over Jesus and said no good. God said, no, I choose him. I choose him for my plan and my purpose. But not only is Jesus treasured because God chose him, he's also treasured because God says in his sight, he's precious. The word precious means costly, highly prized, Rare. Once again, you have this contrast. The world said, Jesus is crucified and forgotten. God says, he's prized. He's rare. He's costly. So this morning, as you think about who Jesus is, know this. He's alive. He is treasured. By the God of heaven. He is chosen and precious. But thirdly, the third reality out of these verses that I want us to just meditate on as it relates to who Jesus is, is this. Jesus is the foundation of the church. Jesus is the foundation of the church. The first metaphor that Peter uses is that of a living stone. The second metaphor that Peter uses is that of a corner stone. Now I know for you and I, that's not really a a phrase we use a lot in our everyday language. So I found a definition that I think really brings some clarity as it relates to this principle of cornerstone. Here it is. The cornerstone concept is derived from the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. Listen to this. It's important because all other stones will be set in reference to this stone. Thus determining the position of the entire structure. So I want you to think about it this way when you think about a cornerstone. It is what everything else is built upon. It is what sets the direction for what is being built. It is what the entire structure depends on. And all stones must be in alignment with the cornerstone. 
So pull that over to what we're talking about today in spiritual terms. That being Jesus as our cornerstone. Jesus is what everything else is built upon. Jesus is what sets direction for the church. Jesus is what the entire church depends on. And everything about the church must be in alignment with Jesus. I love what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. He said, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. And another is being built on it. Is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Then he says this, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. He's the the foundation of the church. So as we work through this passage and work through this series, and you think about who Jesus is, here are the realities that I want just to surface in your heart out of these first few verses. Jesus is alive. Jesus is treasured by God. And Jesus is the foundation of the church. He is to be adored and loved by his worshipers. That's what this passage reveals to us about Jesus. I love what John Piper said. If any person or any power or any wisdom, or any love, awakens any admiration, or any amazement, or any joy, let it be the greatest person, and the greatest power, and the greatest wisdom, and the greatest love that exists, Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are this morning, but before we move on to this second question, I want to ask you something. As you read these words, as you think about these realities about Jesus, does it awaken anything in you? Because I assure you, when these believers who were scattered, who were fearing for their life, when they began to read these words, there was something in them that was stirred. The fact that Jesus is alive stirred them. The fact that Jesus is chosen by God, that awakens something inside of them when they could trace back that the foundation they were building upon as believers in that point in time was Jesus. There was worship. So what does it do in you? I think this is a very healthy opportunity as we look at these verses really to just evaluate your personal pursuit of Jesus Christ. We've said it before, but the ultimate pursuit of our lives is knowing Him. And I hope today that these realities we've talked about encourage you. They excite you as it relates to the person of Jesus Christ. So that's the answer to the first question. What does this passage reveal to us about Jesus? Well, here's the second question. What does this passage reveal 
about Jesus' followers. It's very clear what it reveals about Jesus and who he is. But what does it reveal to us about us as Jesus followers that we can take today and apply to our lives? Well, I believe there are several application statements that I want to share with you. And then we're going to have some time to respond today. Here's the first one. The first application for us as Jesus followers. In Christ, we are spiritually alive. I love the way he transitions to verse 5. He just unpacked all these things about Jesus. And then he says in verse 5, You also... Meaning the things I just highlighted about Jesus, they have application to you. They mean something to you. When I'm saying about him, I also want to communicate about you. He says, you also as living stones. You see, when a person comes into a relationship with Christ, they are born into the kingdom of God and given eternal life. You could say it this way. A relationship with the living stone makes us alive. So if you're here today and you have a relationship with Jesus, because he's alive, in his grace he gives us life that is eternal. 1 John chapter 5 says this, He who has the Son, meaning Jesus, has the life. But he who does not have the Son of God, does not have the life. If you're here today and and you know the living stone, you can celebrate because in Christ you are spiritually alive. Warren Wiersbe said this, all spiritual distance and division have been overcome by Christ. And that's no small thing. You see, there was... It was impossible for us to overcome all of the darkness and distance that separated us from God. If it were not for Jesus, we would never know him. But today, because we are in Christ, that darkness and distance has been removed. And we can celebrate the fact that we are spiritually alive. Here's a second application for us today. In Christ... We are built up from acceptance, not toward it. He said you also as living stones. And obviously that communicates that because Jesus is alive, we're alive. But it also communicates that because Jesus is precious in the sight of God, we are precious in the sight of God. Because Jesus was chosen by God and invited in, we are there invited to know him and to walk with him as eternal followers of Jesus. Verse 5 says, you also as living stones, he says, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Because we are in Christ, we are loved and accepted, and nothing can ever change that. Listen to this statement by J.D. Greer. He said, the great thing about this cornerstone is that you don't build this building and hope to be accepted. 
the cornerstone of this building is your acceptance by God. The gospel is that Christ has been rejected in your place so that you can be accepted in his. That's powerful. So many people struggle with, maybe you're even sitting here today thinking, does God love me? Does God accept me? Does God look favorably on me? Listen, if you're in Christ, the answer is yes. He does. And there's nothing that you can ever do to make him love you more or to make him love you less. We are being built up from the cornerstone in acceptance because we've been accepted. Not trying to do something so that we will be accepted. The cornerstone in Christ is our acceptance before God. That's significant. I would imagine for these believers when they realized... Wow, if Jesus is alive, treasured, and precious, because I'm in him, I'm alive, treasured, and precious. That stirred something in them. And I hope for us today that it stirs something in us as well. And then he talks about two things in these verses. He talks about a spiritual house, and he talks about a holy priesthood. Now, there is a lot of depth to those realities, but I just want to give you a couple of principles to really think about as you think about those two things. When you think about a spiritual house, I want you to think about a dwelling place of God. You see, God does not dwell in man-made temples, including church buildings. He dwells in the hearts of those who have trusted Christ through the Holy Spirit and in the church collectively. Here's the picture. We, as living stones are built upon the cornerstone to make up the spiritual house called the church. And God's presence is in us and among us. The next thing he says here is a holy priesthood. When you think about a holy priesthood, here's what I want you to think about. Access to God. You see, the people of God have equal access to God as well as acceptable sacrifices to offer him. David Dockery said it this way, Christians have access to God through Christ. We can enter God's presence any time we want to do so. Yet we must not be presumptuous, over-familiar, casual, or flippant, with deep reverence, we must approach the sovereign who invites us into his presence. Another application out of this is that in Christ, we are built up from acceptance, not toward it. Here's the third one I want us to just think about today. In Christ, we are built up in community for a greater purpose than ourselves. In him, we are built up in community for a greater purpose than ourselves. Listen, this this passage is celebrating Jesus and the community of believers called the church. There's nothing in these passages that is celebrating how unbelievable any of these individual stones are. 
You see, what the master builder is doing in this passage is he's taking these raw stones. He's redeeming them. He's placing them in his community to form something much bigger than just one individual stone. We see here yet another reference to the power of community. What God wants to do through us is bigger than all of us. Yet another example of how powerful community is in the life of a fellowship. Well, finally, my last application statement today is this. Everything in our community must be built in relation to Jesus. Everything that is established here, everything that is evaluated here, everything that is built here must be built in relation to the cornerstone. Because if it's not, it won't last. It won't bring glory and honor to God. Everything we do as a fellowship must be evaluated in light of the cornerstone that we are being built upon. The only non-negotiable for us to be the people of God is Jesus. We don't have to have a nice campus. We don't have to have media. We don't all have to wear certain clothing that looks nice. We don't have to have a fancy website. We don't have to have a logo. The only thing that is required for us to be the people of God is Jesus. Therefore, everything we do as a church must be evaluated and built in relation to Jesus. J.D. Greer also said this. I love this statement. He said, if you build your life on this stone, your life will not crumble in the storm. If you hide behind this stone, you'll be safe. If you stand on the truth of this stone, you will not be ashamed. And if you join with others in the spiritual house built on this stone, you will be proud of your foundation and your fellowship will stand. That's what these passages reveal to us about Jesus' followers. So as we transition this morning to a time of response here's my question for you are you passionately pursuing Jesus we just read from the scriptures it's all about him there's no one like him he is the life giver He is the cornerstone of the church. He is the king of the kingdom. It's all about him. So this morning as we respond today, I want to ask you, are you pursuing him? Would you say that in your life you have a passionate pursuit of Jesus? And here's a way you can know. You can ask some questions. First of all, do you have life in Jesus? Are you spiritually alive? Has there been a time for you when you've embraced the gospel, recognizing before God that you have fallen short of his standard and the only hope that you have is to put your faith in Jesus? Do you have life in him? Another evaluation question would be, 
Are you walking in your new identity in him? Are you trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment and purpose in something other than Jesus? The Bible says we are new creatures in him. And he gives us a new identity. Are you walking moment by moment in your new identity in Jesus? Another question just to evaluate would be this. Are you passionate about the things Jesus is passionate about? He was passionate about people. He was passionate about mission. He was passionate about making disciples. Are you passionate about what Jesus is passionate about? Because when we pursue him, that's a byproduct. One other evaluation question. Does what breaks Jesus' heart break your heart? you're pursuing him and you are being conformed to his image what breaks his heart will also break your heart and break my heart in just a moment we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song that's it's all about Jesus about him being our cornerstone and it's going to be a moment for us to respond today to how the spirit of God is speaking to you for some of us that may be worship you may have a few moments here before we transition off this campus where you just lift him up, adore him, worship him, and let something in you be refreshed today. Maybe this morning you need to be honest enough to say, you know what, I'm not passionately pursuing Jesus. And you would want to come up to one of our pastors that will be here. Or maybe you want to just get alone with God on these steps up here and just be honest with him and say, God, I am not pursuing you. But I want that to change. And you would have a moment of just a fresh devotion to Jesus that you would want to take a step in today. Maybe you're here and you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If that's you, we would love for you just to come forward. We want to connect you with someone who can show you from the Bible how today you can begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ.